Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. How many of you here, I'm going to ask for you to raise your hands, how many of you here were raised a Baptist, group Baptist, and you remained a Baptist in your adult life? Okay, group Baptist, you've been a Baptist your whole life. How many of you were raised another denomination and became a Baptist later? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, good. What was your background? Mine was Methodist too. Um, so at least we have chosen, well, all of you have chosen to remain Baptist, okay, as adult, and we've chosen to change denominations, and, and uh, for me, I did not grow up Baptist, as I said, uh, grew up Methodist, but uh, in college, God got a hold of my life, and started attending different colleges, and we got, uh, where I met Karen was in Campbell's Crusade for Christ Fellowship in college, and we attended different churches, and the main emphasis with Campbell's Crusade for Christ was the Great Commission more on the line of evangelism, but also discipleship. But that was so, I got enmeshed in that whole atmosphere of the Great Commission uh, that we want, Campus Crusade wanted to fulfill the Great Commission by the year 2000. That was what we heard when we were in school back in the Stone Ages. So that's where I met Karen, and as we dated and uh, became engaged to be married, we experienced a call to vocational ministry. We felt God was calling us to be involved in ministry as a career, as a, as a vocation. And we both thought that meant being on staff with the Campus Crusade for Christ because that's where we're getting fed and we're being really ministered to. And we were on staff for a short time but left staff of Campus Crusade. And we kind of said, now what? What do we do now? What does God want us? We looked around, and we didn't attend a lot of different churches, but uh, Karen grew up Southern Baptist. And so she was very familiar with the, the Baptist way of doing things. She was with the GAs and everything, the youth uh, groups and, and so forth. I did not have that experience. But as I looked around somewhat, I was interested in what the Great Commission was about. And this was in the mid-'70s, and Southern Baptists had just promoted, just came out in 1976, Bowl Mission Thrust. Does anybody remember that? No. Okay. Unfortunately. This was an emphasis by Southern Baptists in particular, and, and I guess the International Mission Board, uh, to reach the world for Christ. Now, I'm not sure Southern Baptists are doing that, but at least at that time, Southern Baptists were talking about it a lot more than other denominations were doing. That attracted me. The other reason I became a Southern Baptist, but I chose to become a Southern Baptist because of their emphasis on missions, emphasis on the Great Commission. In fact... I hope to take some time later on um, in our transition period, give you some more Baptist history. But Baptists really grew a lot in the First Great Awakening in the mid to late 1700s. Lots of Baptist churches. We were the winners, numbers-wise, in the Great Awakening. Lots of Baptist churches. In the early 1800s, Baptist churches across the eastern seaboard organized into the Triennial Convention. That meant they met every three years. They met because of missions. Southern Baptist has a history of coming together despite our differences to do 
missions. That's one reason I became a Baptist. One reason I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth because there's an emphasis on conservative theology and evangelism and missions. I was not disappointed. That's why I'm a Southern Baptist. See, not every Christian, not even every evangelical or Baptist really understands what the Great Commission is. Yes, some of your non-Baptist friends, yes, some of your Methodist friends was a Great Commission. I wonder how many will be able to give you the Matthew 28 passage as an example. I don't know. But the Great Commission obviously is very important to Jesus. These are the last words that Matthew records of Jesus is about the Great Commission. These are our marching orders. And friends, God blesses the Christian who is involved in the Great Commission. God blesses the Christian. God blesses the church that's involved in the Great Commission. God blesses the denomination that's involved in the Great Commission. So the first point of the sermon, the, the first great seed of the church is the Great Commission. This is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Let me again read verses 18 to 20. If you have a red letter Bible, this is the red letters of Jesus. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in verse, uh, second part of verse 18 through the first part of verse 20 is all one sentence in the original language, Greek language. It's, all, it's just one sentence, and, the one, and a sentence has one main verb. Looking at that sentence, what is the main verb? Hmm? Go? Go? You're seminary trained. 95% of the people that I ask that question to give the answer, go. And that's not the answer. The answer is make disciples. Now, I share this with scores of people in churches, students of Mount Olive, even meetings which pastors are involved in. And 95% even of pastors will say the answer is go. We just sang about going, didn't we? Going's important. I'll explain it in a second. But the main verb here in English is make disciples. If you get nothing else, that is the main job of the church to make disciples. Now, in, in, our, uh, in our bulletin, let's look again at the purpose of our church. We have agreed to, to be and make mature and joyful disciples of Jesus Christ, the glory of God. Not bad. We're on the right track. Making disciples. Now, like all of you, you've been through high school. I went through eighth grade English class, and I learned all kinds of things about English that I don't know now. And I'm sure I learned about uh, infinitives and participles and those kind of things in English class. I don't remember a thing about that. But I learned in Greek class and seminary what a participle is. Participles are really, really, really important in Greek. Not that important in English, but really important in Greek. A participle is a verbal that supports the action of the verb. A lot of it is ing words. 
Now, go is a participle. It supports the action of the verb make disciples. We could say this word go is as you are going, make disciples. When you go, make disciples. While you're on the way, make disciples. So what Paul, what uh, Matthew is saying here, Jesus is quoting Jesus, as you're going to the grocery store, make disciples. As you're living your life in your home, make disciples. As you're going to work, make disciples. Wherever, see, I think Jesus is assuming that we are going. <laughs> That's the assumption. The song we sang, what we talk about, go, go. Well, okay, no, I think Jesus says, no, you're going. <laughs> While you're going, do the main thing, which is make disciples. Though, therefore, as you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing. That's the second participle. See the I-N-G? Baptizing is a verbal, it's a participle here, that supports the action of the main verb. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does baptizing mean? Well, the implication of baptizing is that as you're going and you're sharing Christ, there are some who are coming to faith in Christ and are showing their faith by being baptized in a local church. There's a lot implied in baptizing. But part of making disciples is baptizing those who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. Part of making disciples is going out and sharing the good news and bringing in the net. Winning souls, we've heard in the past. We don't use that term much anymore. But leading others to faith in Jesus Christ, where they are committed to Jesus Christ, and they baptize to identify with Jesus Christ. And as we understand as Baptists, we are, they're baptized to identify with the local church as well, become part of that church. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Teaching. That's the third participle here in this verse. Supporting the action of the main verb. How do you make disciples? By teaching. Now, teaching is a lot of things here. Now, notice what, how, how Jesus says this in verse 20, teaching them to take notes when the preacher is talking. No. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is, this is not easy. To a discipler, and that could be you as well, we are to teach disciples not necessarily using a notebook and taking notes, but teaching them to observe what I'm doing in my life. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I think a lot of our discipling is not the best discipling. Sit and listen to the teacher or the preacher or to the Sunday school teacher or whatever it is. That's important. But I want you to follow, be make disciples by them looking at your life and teaching them verbally, but also in action. So the main verb here in the Great Commission is make disciples. How? By going. How? By baptizing. How? By teaching. You with me? Now, right now, you're ahead of the game on most Baptists, just knowing that. Most Christians... We as Baptists have emphasized, emphasized, it's not bad, go, 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 go. That's why we said go first. But that's not the command. That's the assumption. The, go, the, the command is make disciples. 
Now, just as a person goes to military school or goes to a college and goes to ROTC training, and when they graduate, they become a second lieutenant, become an officer, a junior officer, and they are commissioned to do a task. That's what commissioning is. You're commissioned to do a task. That task is to serve our country or protect our country. There's different ways the second lieutenant does that, but that's the purpose, that's the task, that's the commissioning, is to serve the country. Now, the church in general, and this church in particular, and you and me as believers are commissioned. This great commission is for you and for me, and it's for Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's for News Baptist Association. It's the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. It's for SBC. Our commission is to make disciples. We are to be committed to the Great Commission. This is the main task of every Christian and every church is to make disciples. Not make just converts, but to make disciples, persons who are growing. So if, if we go and do the Great Commission, as we're going, we win people to Jesus, they are baptized, and we so often as Baptists, we have been known, maybe not now, in the past been known to be very evangelistic. And we win people, and we've grown churches. But so often we have baptized people and put them on the front pew to draw off and leave them there. We haven't trained them. We haven't taught them. Do the best you can. So we've been good on evangelism in the past. That's been our, our strength as a denomination. But as far as teaching and discipling, maybe not so well known for that. But we are to go win people with Jesus, have them baptized, and then teach them, disciple them, so they can go out and win people to Jesus and bring them in and have them baptized so they can be trained, so they can go out. You see the process? That's what this is about. I mentioned a little facetiously, it was a Sunday night. The main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is make disciples. So the main thing for us is make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. Bunch of stairs. Okay, that's all right. First great C is a great commission. The second great C is a great commandment. And that's just a few chapters over. Turn to chapter 22 of Matthew. Again, you're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it in, in just a second. Uh, this is, I'm going to give you the context of, of this verse. Uh, this is what we call Holy Week. Jesus has come into Jerusalem riding on the donkey there in that last week of his life, the triumphal entry. And during that, what we call Holy Week, before the cross on Wednesday, he's been teaching, he's been discussing. We have Pharisees, Herodians questioning him, trying to trap him. We have Sadducees trying to trap him, trying to make him look bad and trying to turn things around. And then let's look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, this is a person who's expert on the, on, the, on the scriptures, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, which is the greatest? And he, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
I have not done this, but some Jews in the past, those who really valued the, the, the scriptures very much, they said of all the commandments God gave in the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments. They have counted. 613, probably in the Pentateuch, probably the first five books of the Bible is what it is. 613, 365 are positive, do this, and 248 are negative, don't do this, thou shalt not. There's one positive for every day of the year. So this lawyer is saying of the 613 commandments, Jesus, which is number one? Now you and I could very easily pick out the top ten, can't we? Ten commandments. That, 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 that kind of that puts all the 613, if you do the Ten Commandments, you're doing, okay, you, you've done everything. That kind of boils it down. Now, Micah, in his prophecy, he gave three, Micah 6.8. Micah writes, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So Micah has taken the 613 and narrowed it down to three. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God. And then Jesus now is narrowed down to two. Love God, love your neighbor. He's, he's boiling it down. Now, I think in another place, the, uh, the, the lawyer, the scribe that asked Jesus' question said, you've answered rightly, Jesus. That's, that's, that's very good. So what does this mean? Let's dive in a little, little more. Uh, let's look at love God. We need to love God, he says, with our whole heart. Now, he, he says, he, he throws, we need to throw our whole selves into the love that we give him. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with everything of you. Now, the heart here kind of means your whole being, your whole self, everything you have. Surrender is, is the key word to loving God. If you love God, you have surrendered to him. Now, surrender isn't a word we use too much anymore. But loving God for our whole heart means we have surrendered, we have bent the knee to him, we've given our whole self to him. Then he says, Love the Lord you God with all your soul. He means your life. Again, it's a different way of looking at it, really the same thing. We're to love God more than just our lives. We're to give our lives to him, but love God even more than our lives. We must be ready to give up our house, give up our home, give up our liberty or our friends, be willing to give up comfort and joy in life at the command of God. I'm amazed as I continue to read and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are being persecuted. God didn't call me to that. Thank you, God. But some are grateful that they can suffer for Jesus. They're grateful that they can be persecuted for Jesus. That's beyond my understanding and my comprehension. But they have loved God so much their soul, they love God more than anything else in the world. Many places in the world, some can meet publicly in a church building or under a tree or something, but sometimes... The local people don't like that and come and persecute or burn a church down or take the pastor to prison or kill somebody. Sometimes it's local family and friends, sometimes a local government, sometimes it's a national government. But can you imagine worshiping and not knowing when that might happen? It might happen today, it might happen five years from now. 
But they love God so much they want to worship God. They love God with all their soul. Then he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your intellect. To love God intellectually is become a student of God, a student who really takes an interest in God, using your mind, not just your life, not just your emotion, not just your will, but also your mind. We've got to know some content. We've got to read our scripture. We've got to think through what it means to be a Christian. We've got to use our minds. Love God, to spend time with him, to worship him, especially as we understand who God is through the scriptures, privately and, and corporately. Paul kind of says this in a different way. In, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this great commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor. What does that mean, to love your neighbor? That means you must put your neighbor's interest above your interest, whoever your neighbor is. Now, now that, that, was, that was a big question. I just kind of flippantly said that, whoever your neighbor is. Do you remember Jesus was teaching, this is in, in Luke 10, you don't need to turn there, Luke 10, 25 and following is the so-called parable of the Good Samaritan. And one of the scribes, I believe it was, was asking Jesus, you know, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? Trying to justify himself. Because if you were a Jew in the first century, the Samaritans were not your neighbors. They were almost your enemies. Not my enemy, but they were despised and rejected and had nothing to do with them. And of course, Rome, you didn't, Rome was your enemy. And you weren't supposed to love them. You loved yourself. You loved, you loved your group. I love all you guys because you're my people. But those over there are not my people. I don't love them. So Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, he was, he was a hero of the story, much chagrin of the Jews there. Who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus was answering the question, your neighbor is anybody, everybody. But Jesus really answered the question that was raised in Genesis chapter 4. We haven't got there yet on Wednesday night. But when Cain killed Abel, and God came to Cain and says, where is your brother? You know what he said? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, God didn't, an didn't answer him then. God answered him through Jesus some thousands of years later. Are you my brother's keeper? And he said, well, yes, you are. That's what Jesus says. Everyone is your neighbor. There are no limitations. Everyone is your neighbor, even the Samaritans. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, we could spend all day several sermons on loving your neighbor, but let me suggest a group of things of how to love your neighbor is A, no gossip. When you gossip about your neighbor, you are not loving your neighbor. No gossip. No talking behind his or her back. No pulling them down through your comments or actions. When you do those things, you are not loving your neighbor. 
In fact, different places, Paul says, gossip, stop it. Stop doing it, is what he's saying. Now, last week during the Lord's Supper, we had, I believe it was last week, we had the church covenant we read that we have developed here. Great. Uh, when one joins uh, Grace Fellowship Church, and every time someone joins, Jason puts it on the screen what the covenant is when you join the church, what you're agreeing to when you join the church. And it's good for us to see that who are already members. And one of those about 10 points in there, one of the points is you will not gossip. I said, good. That needs to be put in writing and put on the screen every once in a while. And I think we need to say that more often. We Baptists more than anybody else, because I'm a Baptist, we do a great job of gossiping. We call it prayer concerns. That's spiritual. A lot of times it's gossip. Oh, okay. That's, uh, can't go there. Can't go there. Uh, but I think it's part of loving your neighbor is having no gossip, not talking behind their back, and not putting them down. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I know human nature because I'm a human, and I got human nature. Listen to the Apostle John. Just listen. Some things he says. This is from 1 John 3, 18, uh, 11 to 18. 1 John 3, 11 to 18. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How many times have we hated other members of our church, of our church family? We've done that. Probably every church has done that. He continues, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And a little later on, John says in 1 John 4, 7 to 21, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect fear cast, perfect love casts out fear, 
For fear has to be do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. These are tough words. And this commandment is we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. So again, Jesus has taken the 613 commandments and boiled it down to two. Well, really, he's boiled it down to one. Really. He's really saying to love God is to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is to love God. It's really a coin, different sides of the same coin. It's really one commandment. To love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So these are two great C's of the church, the great commission and the great commandment. And I kind of hinted at this last part here Sunday night. To be a great church for Emmanuel Baptist Church to be a great church, which has nothing to do with size or with leadership. To be a great church, must, we must place the great commission and the great commandment first. Must be top priority. Top priority is to make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching, and to love God and to love neighbor. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will grow a great church. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will grow a great church. So, will each of you, including myself, commit ourselves to fulfill the great commission through Emmanuel Baptist Church. Hope you can say amen to that. Will you commit to fill the great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor through Emmanuel Baptist Church? You see, friends, God can grow a great church here if we will commit to the great commission and the great commandment. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for these challenging words of Jesus in both Matthew 28 and 22 that is very challenging. And we can't do either one of these, the great commission, the great commandment, without the great power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own flesh. I've tried, and it doesn't work. Father, I pray for each of us here in this room and those of our membership who aren't here this morning. And I pray for our congregation, for our church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. We might join you at your work of the Great Commission to reach the world and to love you with all our being and to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. Thank you for calling us to this life. Thank you for calling us to this task. Thank you for going with us even to the end of the age. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.